felt so good last Sunday doing that. Enjoyed it? Thank you. I tell you, the, the uh, God is, I felt the pleasure of God last Sunday. Just, he wants us to see what happened in the invisible. So cool. And, you know, you may, you may ask yourself, what, what's the purpose of this, you know, seeing what happened um, when Jesus died and was raised again? What, what's the purpose of seeing the unseen of what happened? But it's so important because what it does, it brings you and I out of a earthly mentality into a heavenly mentality. And it, it goes directly to our understanding of who we are in the spirit. Because it's, it's, it actually, it breaks you free from a thinking that you are really just still from this Adamic race, still, still, of, still from below. It, it, absolutely, it absolutely begins to work in our minds, to renew our minds, to see that the whole family, as Paul said it, the whole family in heaven and on earth have been made complete in him. That's why he said it that way. The whole family in heaven and on earth have been made complete in him. That family didn't, didn't rise to the heavens until Jesus rose first. But now the whole family. And you know, this is what's so cool. The only difference between the family in heaven, the saints that have gone on before us, the only difference between the family in heaven and the family on earth is our mortal bodies. We are seated with him in heavenly places with the family. Isn't that awesome? And they see clearly and we don't. We see through a glass darkly through these brains, through these bodies. But they see fully. They see, they know all things as they are known by God because they're released from this physical um, hindrance. And because we are born from above and from above, and we're going to read in second Galatians how Jerusalem above is our mother. We are truly sons and daughters and we, our family, we are, it's like, it's amazing. And that's what Paul was trying to say that he has reconciled the whole world into himself. And those who have believed on him are one body, the cloud of witnesses in the heavens and we on earth. Cool. Awesome. And that's why those verses make sense now when you talk about Paul, when Paul says the whole family in heaven and on earth. Okay, let's just jump into Galatians and go for it. I say second. There should be a second Galatians probably. Yeah. Anyway, just feel free to send that, that message last Sunday to friends and family and I think it'll bless a lot of people. Okay, let's go. Cool. Lord, thank you so much that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. That you look at us as righteous as yesterday, as righteous as today, and as righteous forever. Because we're in you. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us an an anchor that has gone beyond the veil, an anchor for our soul so that we're not tossed to and fro with our emotions, with our thoughts, but we know who we are in you and you in us. An anchor that goes beyond the veil, holding us steady, holding us steady. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. As you said, Lord, fear not, little flock, 
for it is your Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. We inherit it. We don't have to try to earn it. As sons and daughters of God, we inherit the kingdom. A kingdom that is within us now. Something we're partaking of that is future, that is to be manifested in the future, but now in the spirit we can partake. We can taste of the powers of the world to come now inside of us. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Isn't it great that that verse that we read all the time, that the Lord changes not, God changes not, that we, in light of the new covenant, you can always remember that no matter what kind of day you're having or what kind of week you're having or what you're feeling like, that He changes not. And he has joined himself to us and we to him. And as he is, so are we in the world. And as righteous as he is, so are we as a gift. And that changes not. Awesome. Okay, Galatians. Galatians 2, right? No. Okay, Galatians chapter 4. We left off. We last read uh, verse 20. Let's start with verse 21. We're about to read right now in Galatians, the, mo- the clearest, one of the clearest places in all of Scripture. One of the clearest, there's several other very, very clear passages also, but one of the clearest passages in all of Scripture that clearly say that there are two covenants, one of law and one of grace, and that the one of law, God no longer recognizes. That there's no mixture of law and grace. There's no mixture of the two covenants. And it's going to be clear in these passages that the covenant from Sinai or the, or the covenant of law did not include, as some people teach, some people teach that, yes, the law has been done away, but that's only the sacrifices. That's only the holy days and the feast days. That's only the uh, ceremonial law has been done away with, but not the moral law, not the Ten Commandments. God forbid, no, not the Ten Commandments. Yes, the Ten Commandments, because Galatians will tell you that the covenant from Sinai, God no longer recognizes. The covenant from Sinai, you cannot carve that covenant that was cut on Sinai into pieces and say, this passed away, this did not. There's no authority in the scripture to carve that away and say that if Paul, if Paul meant that, he, mis, he is misleading us terribly in, this, in his letter, because he's not making it clear. But he is making it clear we just don't believe it. He says it's Sinai's covenant. Whatever, whatever happened on Sinai, God no longer recognizes. Now, what do we mean? Let me just say this briefly. What do we mean when we say the law has been done away with and we're not under the covenant of law, including the Ten Commandments? Are we saying that God now favors adultery? Are we saying that God favors stealing, that God likes lying, that God likes all those things that were in those Ten Commandments? No, of course not. That's why Paul says, God forbid, No. The covenant of law, which, what, what has totally changed. In fact, Jesus said this. He said, think not that I've come to destroy the law and the prophets. I've come to fulfill them. To destroy the law and the prophets would be to say, okay, you guys are so weak, you can't pull off anything, so we're going to lower the standard. Uh, let's see, we're going to keep uh, thou shalt not kill. Yeah, we'll keep that one. Uh, thou shalt not bear false witness. We're going to scratch that one because you guys lie all the time. <laughs> You know, that's, that would be destroying the law and the prophets. 
Jesus said, I did not come to destroy the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. The covenant of law was the was a means or a way to get righteousness. And God knew from the beginning that this would never work with men. In fact, the law was added, the scripture says, from the covenant cut with Abraham that we talked about. It was added so that men would see how exceedingly sinful they are, that, that transgressions might increase. So God never intended the law to bring righteousness, for if righteousness had, would, would come by the law, apostles in Galatians, it would happened that way. God would have done it that way. But it was added to bring man to the end of himself so he would see, you know, we're, we're, there's none good. No, not one. We can't do this. So we're not saying when we're free from the covenant of law that God has, t- God has somehow changed who he is, who his character is, that he, that he now favors sin. We're, we are saying that the standard by which God counts a man righteous is no longer obedience to commandments, no longer obedience to uh, laws that say this is what's right and this is what's wrong. But the standard that God chooses now and has always chosen to judge man by is the standard of are they in my son or are they not in my son? Because he will judge the whole world, the scripture says, by one Christ Jesus. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that Jesus' standard of perfection will be put against our works on earth to see if we measure up? No. In other words, there's only one man, really, in God's eyes, that is worthy of heaven. And if you're inside that one man, you are as he is. That's the mystery of the gospel. I heard a, a preacher on TV just yesterday, and this was good. Usually it's like, but this was good. I usually preface that and you think, oh, what did he say? But this was, this was good. He said, he said it really cool because you don't hear preachers say it this way very often. He's in Apopka too, some preacher in Apopka. He said, uh, when, he said when, when the Spirit of God comes inside a body, he means to live through that body. And then he said this, he said, that's the new paradigm shift. Very well put. You see, the law has you thinking, I'm outside of God. God's over there. Here's the law, and I've got to get to him by obedience and by being good and not being bad. The paradigm shift is, no, because of the mystery of death and resurrection in Christ, because God has terminated the old man through the death of Christ and has raised a new creation in union with him, the Spirit of God, which Christ Abba in us now, wants us to live by him, and he lived through us so that we rest from day one. The moment we were born of the spirit, we were, as, we were just as righteous as we're ever going to be. What a rest. I mean, as all that you can do from, from the time you got born of the spirit until the time you die and, and, and leave this body and go to heaven, you cannot add one, one, one tiny thing to the righteousness that you have in Christ. Isn't that awesome? And that's what it means when Jesus said, come, learn of me, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. The Pharisees would say, yoke up to the law, yoke up to the law and be a godly man and follow God, yoke up to the law. Jesus used that phrase because the Pharisees used that phrase, yoke up to the law. And Jesus said, no, yoke up to me, take my yoke upon you. And when he said my yoke, what he was talking about is that he himself was yoked up to something, someone. He was yoked up to the Father. 
He had, he was, he was bringing to mankind the revelation of an indwelling life. The indwelling father lived through him. He goes, he goes, the works I do are not my works, but the works of my father who lives through me. The words I speak are not my words, but the words of my father that speaks through me. And as I live by my father, so you too shall live by me because I'm going to accomplish a work that will totally terminate the old race and bring a new race into existence by the resurrection of Christ so that this Christ may be joined to us so that one day we would get the revelation that, oh my gosh, the father was in him and he was in the father and now he is in me and I am in him. Isn't that awesome? Wow, it's awesome. It is a whole different shift of, of, of thinking. So that's what Paul is trying. That's why Paul is, is so adamant that you must, you must, you must be free from law. You must be free, be free from that mentality that you're trying to get somewhere with God as opposed to seeing that God has come suddenly into his temple. The Lord you seek, I love that. The Lord you seek shall suddenly come into his temple. That's an Old Testament verse. Do you realize there's not a single time in, the, in the, all the writings of the apostles where the apostles tell the saints to seek the Lord? Not once. Yet in the Old Testament, it's full. Seek the Lord, seek the Lord, seek the Lord. But not one time in the entire New Testament is the believer told to seek the Lord. You know why? Because the Lord whom you seek has suddenly come to his temple. What the apostles are teaching in the new covenant is, know you not that you are the temple of God? Don't you know he's inside of you? Don't you know that the one you sought, you have? Why should he, why should they tell us to seek that for which you have? See? In the same way Paul says, why should we hope for that which we see? See? It's the same concept. We are in union with him. I tell you what, this is so simple, but so profound. If the church would get just this one revelation, the thing we say sometimes after this meet, these meetings, that I am in him and he is in me, we would, it would change the world. That simple revelation of union that I am in him and he is in me is, is awesome. It would change what we speak, how we speak. You know, Paul says use sound words when you speak. So you, so you, you, communicate the truth in clarity. There, there, there should be a certain voice, a certain sound. Or He says, if there's not a certain sound, who will prepare for battle? So if, if we're, if our words are, if we were, if we use words like, I don't know, you know, strive. well, yes, yeah, strive. I'm striving. <laughs> but if you, use, I'm talking about things like, if we use words like, oh God, be with us today in your house. You know, as we gather on Sunday morning, come Lord. Yeah, or come Lord, be here. I mean, I know what people mean when they say that, but I'm telling you, it's working against, as opposed, how much more powerful would it be to say, Lord, we thank you that you are inside of us. And Lord, we thank you that, that you're not in this building, you're in us. And the only reason you're in this building is because we're in the building. And when we leave this building, you'll be with us outside of the building. God, we thank you that you brought us into union with yourself. What will that start to do with the body of Christ? You know, and it's almost like the pagan way of thinking that many in the church have this thinking that if we praise enough, he'll come down. If we please him, he'll come down. That's pagan thinking. That's, that's what Elijah confronted with the prophets of Baal. Oh, we'll cut ourselves. We'll do things or he'll come down. No. He has come down. He's tabernacling inside of us. All right, that's my soapbox. All right. It changes the way we speak. We'll, we won't speak the same way. And it'll be life to people when we speak. 
It, see, that's what it means to build up the body of Christ, speaking the truth one to another in love. What, what would it do if, if, just, if we just started telling our brothers and sisters, isn't it awesome that Christ is inside of you right yeah. now? And many believers, it would be like a light bulb. Like They know it, but they don't know it. They know it, but they don't hear it. Isn't it awesome that the Christ is actually inside of you right now? I love it when uh, there was a time when, my, when a good friend of mine was going through a hard time and he was like being pulled by the world to go back into the world and stuff. It was so cool to, like Ken told me, he said, uh, he said, James, if I ever saw you just getting, you know, the world pulling you into the, he, Ken said, all I would do is to remind you of who you are. And I said, that's it, Ken, that's awesome. So anyway, this friend of mine was, was really being pulled to go back into the world and stuff and, and give into his flesh. And he kept expecting me to, I guess, hammer him when we talk on the phone. And every time I talked to him, I said, hey, listen to this, listen to this. Look at what Ephesians says. And I'd say, isn't it awesome that Christ is actually inside of you? Or I'd say, you've been, you actually died. I mean, you're not even the same person you were. You raised, you raised, you know, all this life and truth and revelation. And he couldn't handle it. And he got, he got started getting excited. Because the spirit was still in him. He's a believer. And he started getting excited. And he goes, oh, my gosh. And then he started calling me back and said, look at this. We are free from the law. I mean, the law is the strength of sin. Condemnation is the work of the enemy. And so when you, when you, do, when you minister life like that, the spirit of life responds. And now he's like on fire again. It's awesome. But if I had come across in a way, legalistic way of condemning and pointing to his sin, he would have been lost maybe forever. Not lost forever, but he'd been just stuck in the mud forever. Anyway, so I just think it's so cool. It'll change the way we speak, the way we minister, the way we see people, and we'll be ministers of life. Not the letter that kills, but the spirit that gives life. So when we speak the truth one to another, we build each other up, the scripture says. What is that truth? That is this, this is the truth. This is the truth that sets us free. We begin to help us see who we are. Paul says in the Philippian letter, he says, acknowledge every good thing that is in your brother or sister that is in there by Christ Jesus. Isn't that awesome? How many times do we acknowledge the good thing that is in our brother or sister that is in there by Christ Jesus? And that's simply saying, wow, Maureen, I just really see God's patience living through you right now. And she, and she won't even see it because she's, her face is shining and she knows it not because she's not trying to be patient. She's just beholding God and God's living through her. And that's you're, you're building her up in the faith when you say, Jesus is living through you, Maureen. Isn't that awesome? And that's the, that's the, that's the way we should minister in the spirit and to encourage each other. And um, forbearing with one another, Paul says, forgiving each other as Christ has forgiven us, being merciful to each other. Just that word forbearing with one another, overlooking sin, love covers a multitude of sin and encouraging each other in the spirit. You know, it's just so important that we, that to be the predominant way we talk to each other. Oh, well, anyway. Okay, let's do Galatians. Verse 21, chapter 4, verse 21. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Paul is so cool. He takes the law right back to those who want to be under the law and says, read it. Verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a bondwoman and one by the free woman. But the son, of, the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son by the free woman through the promise. This is allegorically speaking, 
for these women are, are the women is not in the text there, but it's referring to the women. These women are two covenants. One proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. Now, this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. She corresponds with Sarah. Sarah corresponds with the Jerusalem above, and Hagar corresponds with the Jerusalem which is below. Verse 27, For it is written, Rejoice, barren woman who does not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For more numerous are the children of the desolate than of the one who has a husband. A prophecy referring back to Sarah, but forward to the new covenant, and that God will bring life out of death through a promise by faith, not by the works of the flesh. Verse 28, And you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so it is now also, because Ishmael persecuted um, Isaac. So as he, he, the, the child of Hagar, Ishmael, persecuted Isaac and taunted him, and we're going to look at that as awesome, awesome secrets hidden in that whole life, that, that whole situation with Ishmael and Isaac and Hagar and Sarah. We're going to look at that um, maybe next Sunday. It's so cool to, to dig out those treasures and see what God is saying about a person under law and a person under grace. It's awesome. Um, verse 30. But what does the scripture say? This is so powerful. Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brothers, we are not children of a bondwoman, but of the free woman. Oh, awesome. Isn't that good? When it says cast out the bondwoman, put in there Hagar. She's the slave woman. She's also part of the covenant of law. She, I mean, she's referring, she's, now this, is what, oh, this is also very cool. Paul gives us precedent to take actual historical events in the scripture like this. This is not just an allegory. This is actual historical event of Abraham having two wives and children. Paul gives us precedent by the spirit to see allegories in the old, old covenant. Isn't that cool? Not that we need to see that because we pretty much see that, but we have precedent here that we can look at a historical event and know that behind the historical event, God is hiding a revelation of the finished work of Christ. Isn't that cool? Okay, so we can look at this, and he says, Hagar, the slave woman, was like the old covenant, the covenant from Sinai, the covenant of law. And then he says, he says the child of that union between Abraham and Hagar was Ishmael, a child of the flesh. Why, why do you call it the child of the flesh? Because she could have children in the natural. Sarah could not. So that's why Sarah said, you know, maybe, maybe we should help God. You know, go into Hagar, our, our slave girl, and maybe that's the way God's going to give you that child he promised 20 years ago. You know, she's probably frustrated. And, and, um, and so Abraham, you know, does it, and he has a baby by Hagar, the slave girl, and that's why it's of the flesh, because there was nothing supernatural about it. And so it was a work of the flesh. And, of course, to this very day, the descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Isaac are, are battling to this day, to this very day over in Jerusalem. So anyway, here's, here's, a, now here's the statement that's cool. God says, cast out the bondwoman and her son. Replace those words, bondwoman, with what Paul has just said this is. The covenant from Sinai, 
corresponds with Hagar, the bondwoman, the covenant from Sinai. God is saying, cast out this covenant that I cut with Israel from Sinai. Cast it out. Strong words. Sure answers the Seventh-day Adventist question, doesn't it? (laughs) What Sabbath? What Sabbath? Hebrews 4 says our Sabbath is Christ. It's not a day. It's a person. We enter into the Sabbath. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. He who believes enters into the Christ who is our rest. The Sabbath one day a week was just a picture of the Christ. All pictures. See? Isn't that cool? So, so here he's saying, cast out, and, the, and the, the son is the flesh. So he says, cast out the, the law and the flesh. Don't try to do it yourself, and don't try to live under that covenant that says you've got to do it yourself. Cast it out. Okay, then he says, well, further back. And just so you know, let's, real quickly, let's turn to 2 Corinthians real quickly. Paul makes it again, this is another, another one of those verses that makes it abundantly clear that he's not saying that only the ceremonial law on Sinai was done away with, but that the moral law, the Ten Commandments, is still in force. Take a look, if you would, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we'll wrap it up. Now, we know that the, the covenant that was cut on Sinai, the only thing that was actually put on stones by the hand of God were the Ten Commandments. Remember the movie. God didn't write Deuteronomy on the tablets of stone. It'd be a lot of stones. It'd be a heavy book. What happened was he only wrote the Ten Commandments with his finger on tablets of stone. The rest of it was written by Moses as the Lord dictated to him. And so the books of the, of the, the Torah, Genesis, uh, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, um, Numbers, not one of my favorite books, sorry. Um, <laughs> But those five books is considered the Torah or the law. That's, the, that's considered the law. That's why, when he, notice when he says, you who want to be under the law, don't you read the law? And he quotes from Genesis. He doesn't quote, quote from the Ten Commandments. Because in the Jewish mind, the law was the first five books. So when he said, you who want to be under the law, do you not read the law? And he quotes Genesis about Abraham's having two wives. He's referring to that Genesis book, but not the actual covenant language because the Jew thought of the first five books as the law. The law and the prophets was their way of saying all the Old Testament. The first five books, the law, and the last, all the other books being a reference to the prophets. Okay, so anyway, so he's here. Um, what was we were saying about... Um, oh, yeah, yeah. God only wrote on the Ten Commandments, on the stone with his finger. The rest of it was... So, let's see what Paul says in this passage about what was done away with. Okay, real quick. Chapter 3. Uh, let's just go to, well, I like this. Is good. I, like, I love this. Verse 1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need as some, uh, as some letters of commendation to you or from you? He's talking about the Judaizers who had letters from people in Jerusalem saying, listen to these guys. They have the truth, these Judaizers. Paul says, I don't need a letter of commendation. I don't, I don't, need, to have, I don't need men to commend me to you. What do you need, Paul? Verse 2. You are my letter. The saints, written in our hearts, known and read by all men, you have been manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us. He's talking about the apostles. Written not with ink, 
from men in Jerusalem, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. So he's talking about how his letter of commendation would be the fruit that would be born in the lives who heard Paul's ministry. Isn't that awesome? All right, look at verse 4 here. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. In other words, he's, in other words, he's saying here, lest men think I'm boasting. He goes, I had this confidence, not in myself, but through Christ, through Christ toward God. Verse 5. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Verse 6. Who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death... Oh, here it is. The ministry of death. What is that, Paul? In letters engraved on stones. Very clear. Stones, the Ten Commandments. He calls it a ministry of death. That includes keep the Sabbath day holy. That includes every law in the Ten Commandments. If it came with glory so that the the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was. Remember that? He got the tablets of stone. His face was shining. And Israel said, oh, my gosh, you speak to God. Don't speak to us directly. He's talking about the Ten Commandments clearly. Verse 8, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, that's that's what he calls the covenant of law, a ministry of condemnation. Much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. The gospel is a ministry of righteousness, meaning it ministers righteousness to you. It serves righteousness. The word ministry means serves, like a serve. You go to a restaurant and you have a menu and you say, I want righteousness, please. And he comes out with a a golden plate and gives you righteousness. That's what the the covenant, the gospel does. It it serves you righteousness. Whereas if you went to the law restaurant and you read, "Um, I want, I want righteousness, please. I want, I want right, I want to order righteousness. And so the, the server will come out with this, nose up in the air and say, you get condemnation because you don't, you know, live up to the standard. That's what he's talking about here. One covenant ministers condemnation to you and the other covenant ministers righteousness to you. Isn't that awesome? Okay. So then he says here, okay. And then he goes on. This is like more stuff we can talk about later. It's awesome about his face was shining and what happened with all that. But the point I want to bring in this passage is that he's referring to the tablets of stone that are letters of death which is clearly the Ten Commandments. So don't let anyone ever tell you that, yeah, the law's been done away with, but just the ceremonial law, not the Ten Commandments. Show them Galatians. Show them Second Corinthians. It's very clear that the whole thing has been done away because it's a whole new paradigm, a whole new reality. Yes. James, yes. I was waiting and waiting and waiting. Go, go. Get on further. Go. <laughs> because uh, 15, but to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Yes. And now the the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Yes, liberty, freedom. Freedom. We all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Yes, 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 yes. To this very day, that's awesome. To this very day, in the reading of the Old Covenant, the veil remains. And you know what? I'll tell you a little, little thing that's so cool to remember. In the reading of the Old Testament, you know why the veil remains? In the reading of the Old Testament without an interpreter, without a revelation of Christ? In the reading of the Old Testament without an interpreter to, re- to speak of the revelation of Christ, like Paul said, Abraham had two wives. This is a picture of something. The reading of the Old Covenant is in, is not in the completed tense of the verb. 
the reading of the Old Covenant by its very nature says, if you do this, this will happen in the future. If you do this, God will do this. So in the reading of the Old Covenant, if you don't see the revelation, in the actual the reading of it, it reinforces the veil in people's minds. Because it doesn't speak of a finished work. It says, if you do this, God will do that. And that's why Paul says it's in the very reading of it in the synagogue. It reinforces the veil. But when they turn to the Lord, the revelation of the Christ, the veil is taken away. And then Paul in Romans 10, this is awesome, Romans 10, he rewords the words of Moses and says, this is is what Moses said to Israel. Boom, boom, boom. If you do this, you know this. You know, you have the law, keep it, so forth. He goes, the righteousness, which is by faith, does not speak like that. And he reworded the words of Moses in Deuteronomy. And that's why, and that's what you have to have, a revelation of the Christ, or, or otherwise it reinforces the veil, but the revelation of Christ removes the veil. Check that out, Romans 10, compare that with Deuteronomy 30. It's awesome. Romans 10, Deuteronomy 30. So cool. Awesome. We better go. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you so much that our mother is Jerusalem above. She who is below is in bondage, even though she claims to be a minister of righteousness, even though she boasts in the law, boasts in the things of God. As Jesus said, they will seek to kill you even, thinking they're serving God, but they know not me. Lord, I pray that we would grow in this awareness of union and that we would never forget that you call us beloved. You call us beloved. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. I pray your blessing upon us in a more powerful way, Lord. Open our eyes to see things we've never seen before. Give us, please, Lord, the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. Establish us in the reality of the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.